Kate Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 240. And so I have to share that the 240th Women's World Cup game in the history of the tournament will be played June 10th when Argentina faces Japan in the group stage in Paris. This will be Argentina's first Women's World Cup match since 2007, whereas Japan has qualified for every Women's World Cup. So, two chats today. First with Neil Morris from WRAL Sports Fan in North Carolina. Neil has been covering the Carolina Courage uh, since they joined NWSL in 2017. We talked about uh, the home opener against Chicago last weekend, of course, the very stacked roster, and his recent story for Equalizer Soccer on Lynn Williams. And then speaking of Equalizer, I caught up with my friend Dan LaLetta to talk about other issues from the first weekend, you know, the action we saw in the other games, also Ashlyn Harris's pretty frank post-game comments, the lack of PR by the league office, and a few more topics. So hope you enjoy these two chats. All right, Jen Cooper here with Neil Morris from North Carolina. We're going to talk about the really the, the showcase game for the first weekend of the NWSL season. Neil, you, you do a lot of coverage for WARL Sports Fan and Equalizer now. Um, and, of course, you've been covering North Carolina since since the beginning. Talk about, um, you know, the importance of, of this game and, you know, kicking off the season against the semifinal opponent from last fall. Well, you know, I think the, the importance of it was that you know, kind of the inarguable top three teams in the league are, are North Carolina, Portland, and Chicago. And I think most, the consensus is that North Carolina is at the top of that list. And then there's some discussion as to who number two is. My, my personal opinion is that Chicago is the second best team in the league. And there's a good argument to be made that they may be the best this year because of just the, the inflow and outflow of, of, of players for World Cup and the depth that that team has and kind of the the chemistry that, that their roster has been been building. Um, so you know to start off the match with not just a, a, a replay of the semifinal from last year, uh, a game that was supposed to be played in North Carolina and wasn't, <laughs> and so to re- to return that match to open the season to North Carolina had a certain bit of symmetry to it. Uh, but it was it's also interesting because you know and I tweeted this out for my game recap you know for all the dominance that the courage has had over the last you know two plus years now uh, their their one nemesis uh, has has not been Portland uh, by and large it's been Chicago uh, right they, right you look those, back at the stats yeah those two teams have played seven regular season games uh, and and North Carolina has one win out of those seven. Here's the bigger stat. Since forming, the, the Courage have a total out of, I think, 49 regular season matches total. They have eight draws and eight losses total. Three right. losses and three of those draws are to Chicago. And so that has been their, their, their nemesis uh, for the last two years. Uh, and and it's not because although I you know I think in the first year Chicago just even though North Carolina beat them in the in the semifinals 
uh, you know, they lost to them three times, and there was a good argument Chicago was just a better team. You know, I, I think looking at the game on Saturday, that it's it, there was almost little argument that North Carolina was the better team, and they certainly showed it in the stat line. Right. Uh, but Chicago, Chicago just knows how to play them, and they 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 towed the line. They they held the, the the score in check for the most part, and then when they got their opportunities, they bombed it forward for Sam Kerr to work her magic. And so, you know, I, I think it it was a good match for for to open the season, especially before all the national team players leave, so that we could see these teams at full strength uh, in the small window before before the first of May. And, and and we got a lot of stars there. I mean, Kerr getting that first goal, Crystal Dunn coming back with the equalizer, of course, assisted by Jessica McDonald, Alyssa Nair having some excellent saves. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was a really fun game to watch. Uh, and when when Kerr got the go ahead goal, which seemed to be a, against the run of play, you know, my first thought was, you know, how often does North Carolina give up the first goal and you know I looked I'm looking back and it's, it's like a couple times to Seattle <laughs> yeah. um you know and, and and just a few other times but uh yeah I, I didn't really have any doubt that they'd battle back somehow but it but it does kind of reinforce your point that that Chicago is the team that really has North Carolina's number a little bit, but they just know how to they know how to to be play smart and be patient. Um, look, Paul Riley, if you talk to him, he will tell you the team that 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 frightens him the most, if any team frightens him, is Chicago. But it's because they're the the one midfield that he knows both on on talent and depth can can match up to his midfield. You know, on the on the go ahead goal that you talk about, it was interesting. Again, it was one way traffic up until that goal. I mean, it was it was almost shocking about how how much North Carolina was dominating possession and shots and everything. And then it was a quirky little thing. You know, Merritt Mathias had overlapped, probably pushed forward a little bit. Uh, Denise O'Sullivan had the ball on the right flank. Uh, had a had a misguided pass that was intercepted. Mathias is then out of position. Uh, which so Dahl Camper had maybe gone a little wider than she normally would to cover that that right uh, side, and that was all the space that Nagasato needed to split the two defenders. And Kerr knew that space was there, so it was it was it was a situation where you know the Courage were kind of feeling themselves and probably were quite confident in how they were were handling the match, uh, but Chicago waited for that one opportunity and 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 leapt on it. So. Uh, that that's what Chicago can do when they play North Carolina. Um, I don't think it's a result that should scare North Carolina necessarily because, again, the, the statistical domination was amazing against a extremely talented team, uh, and not every opponent is going to have you know Nagasato and Sam Kerr. So, um, right. So, I, you know. It, it's it's a good game to get out of the way. You know, if you're North Carolina, you, you're regretting not getting three points at home during that short window before your national team players leave. You need as many points from those guys as you can. Um, so from that point of view, it's a bit of a disappointment. But again, when you look back at the history between these two teams, splitting the points is is not unusual, and and a lot of times it's a it's a preferred result. 
Well, and, and let's talk about some of North Carolina's players. Uh, can't talk about them all because there's just so many <laughs> really great ones. But, uh, you know, I, I I love that, of course, it's Crystal Dunn and, and McDonald combining for the goal. Um, when you saw saw that starting lineup tweeted, you know, with Mewis, Urseg, Serboni, Sullivan, <laughs> McDonald, uh, you know, a lot of people tweet. It's like that's, you know, throw a World Cup team against that against that roster but uh with such a star-studded lineup who really stood out for you in this match well but before i get to that you know the one the one interesting thing about that observation is i think and the fun thing about covering this team since 2017 is that you know minus crystal dunn who obviously wasn't here in 2017 most of those names were in the starting lineup in 2017 and when you put with you know back then you you know observers of the league knew those players uh, but when you tweet that lineup out, people would say, oh, that's a nice little lineup. It wasn't U.S. <laughs> Dahl Kemper or Zerboni. It was, okay, that's a nice lineup. Um, now right. it's a bunch of a national team players. So to see kind of how they've sort of developed both in talent and reputation over over two years, is it, it's kind of an interesting thing to observe as, as someone who covers the beat. Um as far as the standout players from 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 Saturday's match, I, I mean, I think that the, the the number one standout was Crystal Dunn. She she had the benefit of a lot of space because uh, Chicago, although they were definitely looking for counterattack opportunities when they could, were also playing a bit of a low block. So, you know, Dunn playing at a number ten uh, that allowed her to drop just a tad bit deeper. She had a tad more space to work with than. Crystal Dunn normally would, and she, you know, I'm just convinced that having after having a steady diet of left back play uh, most of the preseason in national team camps, I, I think she's just happy as a lark whenever she gets the chance to to be in the attack. You saw it a little bit in the Belgium match, uh, right? Was, she was like a dynamo until about halfway through the first half, and Jill Ellis jerked her back to left back again. Um, I think she's just happy as can be um, pl- pl- being in the attack, and uh, she was just dribbling in and out and making things happen. Um, you know, her 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 shot was a, a fortunate one. It kind of, I think it it, it megged uh, Tierna Davidson, and probably, you know, Nair probably couldn't get a good read on it. Uh, Dunn had had a couple of shots earlier in the first half that didn't have a lot of a lot of oomph on them. Uh, but but she was she was definitely the playmaker of the of the match um, based on on the space that she was given to operate. You know I think the other thing that's worth mentioning about that match from the courage point of view is and I, and this is not just my analysis. This is also from watching the players and how they performed. You know I, I think it's probably something to the to the fact that. You know, Crystal Dunn aside, who's just a freak of nature, um, <laughs> I, I think that a lot of the national team players who would come back, and I thought, you know, Carolina played well. I'm not taking anything away from their play, but they also, you know, just a, in certain points of the game, it almost looked like they were just a, a bit slow. You know, one of the interesting statistical categories where the teams were dead even were duels won. Uh, hmm. Which is not usually something Carolina gives gives way on, but Chicago right. had as many duels won as, as North Carolina did, and so 
there was just, a, I think, I bet you there was just a, there was two things going on. One, the national team players had just gotten back like midweek. So they had two training sessions before the, the game. And that's eight out of the 11 starters. And that's a really and, good point. And so I think there was, you know, they had been away for a while. And a lot of them had played a lot, you know, and played a lot of minutes in those two national team games. Um, so, and Denise O'Sullivan, who who had been great in preseason, I didn't think she had a great game on, on, on Saturday. You know, she was in Europe in the middle of the week. So she had just got back, played in a ton of, been playing some minutes for Ireland. So, you know, I, I think Mewis was not as dominant as she normally is. Uh, you know, Dahl Camper was up and down. Uh, O'Sullivan seemed a bit step slow at times. You know, the, the players who I thought played really well uh, were, for the first half, it was a player who had been in camp, Jalen Hinkle, who I thought had a fantastic first half. Uh, and then the two national team players who didn't play a lot of minutes for the for the U.S., uh, McDonald and Zerboni, who just came out very aggressive. Far yes. more. Zerboni, it's a, I'm telling you, I've seen Zerboni in a couple of scrimmages when she was back in Courage Camp from the national team. It's the best I've seen her play, even against a couple of college teams that I've seen this this preseason. I think she's, I think she's finally coming along. She has not been 100% through the preseason, and maybe this was her way of trying to put that last stamp on hopefully getting a, a ticket to France. So, right. so she knows that she knows Jill is watching. So I thought the players who didn't play as much for their respective national teams are the ones who, who played the best on Saturday. And some of the ones who had logged a lot of minutes um, with the exception of, of Dunn, um, I thought it wasn't their, their best match. Well, and it's game one, you know, it's the start of the season. Granted, you know, in a few weeks, a lot of the national teamers leave. But I, I feel like the first week of the season is you can't use it as, oh, well, that's what that team's entire season is is going to look like. It's like it gives you a glimpse of like, oh, OK, we think we could see what what they'll become. But I know there were a lot of teams affected by, you know, the international window, even though, of course, all the players were back. But it depended, you know, like England played Tuesday. You know, yeah. so Rachel Daly was flying back from Europe. Thankfully, you know, she didn't have to play till Sunday. You had Canada play Monday. They're flying back from Europe. At least the Australians, they only played the game against the USA on the 4th and then stayed stateside. So, you know, they didn't have the, the, the same travel issue. But uh, I'm really yeah. looking forward to what happens next weekend. But for Carolina and Orlando, they turn around and play this Wednesday. They do, um, and it's going to be an interesting match. You know, I don't. I don't think there's much question based on what we saw in the preseason and what we saw last weekend in North Carolina is the decidedly better team. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's but it's it's almost, I don't want to say it's a must win for North Carolina, but they can't drop points. I mean, they need to go get three points because this is the last home game they're going to have before the U S national team leave against a team that they should get three points against based on all, right. all indications and evidence. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to say there's pressure. They never feel that, but there's a, there's a little bit to go out and, and get it done. And, you know, the courage, I mean, I'm sorry, Orlando still has Marta and, and Alex Morgan. So, you know, they're, they're not a bad team, uh, but North Carolina is going to have a couple of, 
of extra training sessions under the belt, uh, a little bit of rest for the national team players. Uh, you know, if they don't get the three points, it'll be a disappointment, and it'll be a uh, it'll be a surprising uh, result because, like I said, yes, Orlando needs points because they look very poor against Portland, uh, but. North Carolina does not need to drop points in this game, which is an entirely winnable match. Well, and speaking of national team players, you know, we know the wealth of national team players on, on Carolina, not just Americans, but also, you know, Abby Ersek and now Stephanie LeBay from, from Canada. But but let's talk about a player who had been a national team player, but is now not part of that pool. And you had a great story on Equalizer about her last, last weekend, Lynn Williams. Yeah. You know, it's it, the genesis of that article was was not. You know, I, I think it's probably important to point out what it was. That it was not supposed to be an argument that she should be on the World Cup roster. Although, you know, there are people who feel that way, and there's an argument to be made for it. But that that wasn't the genesis of the article. Because it's clearly it's like she's not going to be considered at this point. It's it's past the point no, where she would she be in the pool. That. Yeah, and she knows that. I mean, it's 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 a fait accompli at this point. Uh, yeah. Well, the point of the article was to just was to point out, um, you know, there's been so much talk and so much emphasis about club play and NWSL play, and we've seen a lot of players earn their way into the the, the national team rotation based on their their club performance, including Lynn Williams, by the way. But it was just an odd juxtaposition, and and I and I've, t- I've told you this off air. I think a lot of it was when you know you have some stat sheets that you like to keep track of of the, the history of, of goals scored and assists uh, earned in, in NWSL history. Right. And I went and I went back and I looked and crunched those numbers and realized that no American player has scored more club goals over the last one, two, or three years combined than Lynn Williams. No one. Not one year, not two year, not three year. No one. Uh, and, and, and at the time when she was scoring 14 goals, by far the most in her career, uh, her, her fortunes with the national team were fading at the same time. And it was just a bizarre juxtaposition that I thought needed fleshing out. Uh, and, and the missing ingredient was, well, is Lynn going to be willing to talk about all this, which we all know that players of that of, of, of that level normally are reticent to discuss national team prospects. Uh, and she was willing to be quite candid with it. And that obviously made the article. And, you know, she talked about the ups and downs of last year and how it bothered her tremendously that, that not only was she sort of falling in and out and and, and a lot of times didn't have a firm grasp of, of why, uh, but that it, that it did affect her, uh, and, and she talked about that. And then, you know, and the other thing is that the article, and I, I didn't want it to just be sort of a, a woe is me article. I wanted to get into the, the nuts and bolts of maybe why um, her 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 shots on target percentage is relatively low in comparison to some other national team players, and she knows that. So we that, but but it also compares favorably to some of her courage teammates. So there's a discussion to be had about that. Um, and there's, a, and there's a, you know, and I think the bottom line, and I've said this for a long time, that, you know, in, in the, in the, in the system that she can flourish in, I think Lynn Williams is one of the, the one of the most potentially dangerous weapons that a team could have in women's soccer. 
Uh-huh. But she's got, but she's got to be in the right position, and she's got to be in the right system. And if she's asked to be a hold-up forward, she's going to need a lot of training. If she's asked to be a wide player, like Jill Ellis has done with with some other forwards, like Kristen Press and and Jessica McDonald, she's not going to do well. She does not do well in a wide position. She's never played it. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's almost like Lynn Williams got in a position where. She she didn't have the time, the opportunity, and maybe even the ability uh, to play the way that Jill Ellis wants her team to play, which is fine. I mean that that's her choice. I just still think it's startling uh, that the most uh, accomplished goal scorer in 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 the U.S. American goal scorer in pro soccer is not not only not going to France. Never mind that. Yeah. Even in the discussion, and has it been called in, up to the national team in twelve months? That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, especially when we like to talk about, and, and you know, listeners know this is one of my favorite story angles is how this league is intended to be a platform, you know, for for players yeah. for for the national team. And Lynn's story is different from that of McCall Zerboni or Jessica McDonald, who have labored in WPS and WSL and finally get, you know, called in at the end of their twenties, early thirties, where Lynn, you know, her, at the end of her second season in the league, you know, she's golden boot. She gets a call and she scored. Then she gets some time the following year and she's an allocated player and then is suddenly dropped. So she's, she, you know, she's, it's a different storyline than, than the other two, but it, it is mystifying, and and I and I like your point that it's it's not about whether or not she should be in the twenty three for France, but it's like why is that player not even in your thirty player January camp? No, right. Yeah. And here's here you you love obscure stats, and this was not in my <laughs> article. I couldn't quite fit this in the article, but you would love it because I drew it, drew it from your spreadsheet. If Allie Long somehow makes it to France. Okay, and she may or she may not. But if Alec Long makes it to France, nine of the top ten goal scorers in the history of the NWSL will be going to France. Ooh, good one. The only one who will not is number four, Lynn Williams. Wow. And, nice oh, one. And if Jessica, oh, and if Jessica McDonald goes. I am, genu- I am genuflecting to you for that beautiful stat. Well, um, that's the caveats there are if Allie Long and Jessica McDonald both go. I think that the other right, ones right, are right. almost inarguable. They're going for their respect. Not just the, I'm not talking about Americans. I'm talking about top ten periods. Right, overall, overall. Whatever. The only, if Allie Long and Jessica McDonald go, the only person in the top ten goal scorers in the individual history who will not be going to France is Lynn Williams. And she's number four. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, she's number four in assists too. Everybody thinks of her <laughs> kind of a one-trick pony. Well, I think there's a lot of belief that she's just a one-trick. I think there's a lot of belief that she's that Lynn Williams is a one-trick pony. You know, she's four years into her 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 NWS career. She's fourth all-time in goals. She's fourth all-time in assists. Yeah. Well, and with McDonald's assist Saturday, she took the lead in the career assist you know, getting number yeah. 22 and then Tobin Heath gets number 22 <laughs> yesterday. That's right. So, yeah. And, and it's like, you don't think about, uh, a McDonald being, 
you know, an assist provider, but no, she has more than, you know, than, than one part of her game. And and I I do want to check how many, how many assist goal combos have come from the wonderful pairing of of Williams and McDonald. But I do have to note, so Nagasato assisted Curry yesterday or Saturday in that goal. Every single one of Nagasato's individual assists have been on a Kerr goal. So are you yeah, kidding? That, wow. I, yeah. There's a and good that, one. That's such a powerful, powerful combo. And Chicago is not going to lose Yuki Nagasato for, no. for, you know, she hasn't been called up since, since the, the Olympics. So maybe they can find someone else to, uh, you know, fi- finish off her wonderful assists. But any well, last I mean, thoughts Katie, from you, know, you Katie Johnson. You know, Katie Johnson was on the bench. She didn't get into the game. I know that mm. John Halloran's been high on her in preseason. I'm not, I don't know. So there's see. the person. There's the person. But any last thoughts from from you on on you know that that first game for both Chicago and, and North Carolina? No, I mean that. I mean, I think I've pretty much said it all. Again, it was. It, I, I think for all the talk of the new year, I think it ended up being sort of a, a standard courage match. They, they dominated the shots. <laughs> I mean, no, they dominated the shots. They dominated the possession, uh, even more so than some previous games against Chicago, which was the only unusual thing. Um, quite unusual, actually. I mean, even even the NWSL semifinal last year, you know, it was the courage approached that very cautiously, um, right? And, and waited and waited for their opportunities. Did this game? It was they were just plowing ahead with reckless abandon and were carving up the Red Stars, but then, you know. The, the Red Stars were waiting for that opportunity, and they and they got it. So, you know, considering the short training sessions, considering some of the fatigue, I think it was again it was a standard courage match. Very talented, you know, better than any other team on the field in this league, uh, dominating the stat line. It's just whether they can finish their chances. <laughs> That's yeah. the issue. It could, yeah. and by the way, it continues to be the issue. <laughs> well neil i always enjoy chatting with you about about women's soccer so i look forward to another one later this season and uh, have fun with the carolina courage will do i always enjoy coming on thanks All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Dan Laletta from Equalizer Soccer, the only man who has covered every season of women's professional soccer in the United States. Um, and if you don't believe that, just next time you run into Dan, you know, make him show show you all his credentials. But anyway, Dan, I know, you know, here we are, what, season seven of NWSL? Season seven. Which is... So we're already more than the previous two leagues combined. I mean, we're never yeah, going to start. We we're are. never going to stop milking that, you know. No, we and have that's to. Exciting. It's, it's, it's all we're obligated to. I mean, because I, I I know when you know you and I are on our, our deathbed at the old soccer nerd um, poorhouse that you know will be like, look, it's been ninety seasons. It's lasted <laughs> longer than WSA and WPS. That, look, people. That's right. And I'll still be saying, boy, WUSA was a fun league to cover. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but let's talk NWSL. So we finally kicked off last weekend. It felt like such a long offseason. Two games Saturday, two games Sunday. Full disclosure, Dan, you actually got to call a game again uh, after, what, three three years? 
three years retirement from, from broadcasting, you got to call Chicago, yep, I, North Carolina. I had a mini unretirement in 2017 when there was a hurricane hit Florida and they outsourced <laughs> all the games because they had to evacuate the studio. So they all, and so we did all the games on site and I did the sky blue game. But other than that mini unretirement, yes, three years. So before we talk about, about the games of the weekend, just, just thoughts of what it was like to be back on the call. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I love doing it. Um, hopefully I add something to the broadcast for those who are listening. It's a different sort of experience not to be in the stadium. Pros and cons probably to that, but uh, I had a lot of fun. And if you keep listening to games, you may hear my voice again at some point this season. So let, let's talk about the first weekend. I, well, wait, wait, wait. Oh, you how, want more? How is it to listen to me on the call? Well, I don't know if the listeners want to hear my unadulterated opinions. <laughs> was that no. bad? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I, I like that it was somebody with a history in the game because the common complaint uh, that I see on Twitter and, and that we hear is these people aren't invested in the league. They don't know the league. They're not familiar with the league. Uh, if you're not familiar with the league, Dan, no one is familiar with the league. Well, I hope, I hope so. that's the case. And I hope, <laughs> I hope that comes across. Yeah. So that's why I'm, you know, I'm excited when we have people on the call who are connected to the league, know the history. And, and in some cases like Jordan Angeli, Lori Lindsay have played in the league. And now Casey White, who made her debut yesterday calling Seattle Houston, uh, you know, she played three seasons in WPS played for the national team. It's like, that's that's so great to see. So, you know, you may have people complain. It's like, oh, it should be more women. It's like, hey, we're getting more women on there. But if we're not going to have a woman, then I want someone like you, Dan, who cares about this league, knows the history of the league, and is going to study really hard uh, before these games. Because I knew you were prepping because you kept texting. You're like, is this the number you have for this? What about this? Is this what you have? And it's like, and and you love that because – just like the the NWSL players, your you know average player is, is not paid very well, and some of the players are not paid much at all. That you know the broad none of the broadcasters doing the streams or you know yeah, making one, making a fortune off this. Speaking of Jordan Angeli, by the way, it still bothers me that last was I think it was last season when Dal Kemper's consecutive game streak ended, uh-huh. and I and she was calling the game. And I should have let her know, and I didn't, that the previous time that Dal Kemper had come off, it was to be replaced by Jordan Angeli. Ah, oh, what and a great the connection. Streak, then the streak started the next day. Of course, I texted her about it afterwards, and she actually, she didn't come up with it first, but then she remembered it. No, it was this game in this city, and it was like talking to myself at that point. <laughs> well, I like I like when we ask Jordan, Hey, who's the only player in Washington Spirit to Spirit history to get a red card? And she's like, yeah. "Me, but it shouldn't have been me. They misidentified yeah. me. It wasn't me." You know, and how long? How long? How many seasons are we going to be able to get away with that question? It's got to happen again <laughs> soon, sooner or later, right? Yeah, don't don't tell the Washington Spirit that. But yeah. anyway, oh, red let's cards talk about... are optional, right? We only had yeah. two last year, so. We don't do red cards anymore. So, so let's talk about the first four games, the first season we we have. I mean, the first weekend of the season, really good matchup, in my opinion, for Carolina Chicago. And of course, we don't need to rehash that because I, I talked to Neil Morris about that 
But I thought it was strange that Washington and Sky Blue got paired for the opening weekend where they both had pretty rough seasons last season. So why would you put them together? Because one of them's kind of going to get screwed to start the season. Or am I just looking I, at it from the wrong angle? I, lo- I loved it. I thought that it actually gave you an opportunity to guarantee that both teams wouldn't be 0-1 to start the season. So either they were both <laughs> going to get a draw. Seriously. Or, you know, or the same thing with, like, I mean, North Carolina almost lost their game. So it wouldn't have been a terrible loss to lose to Chicago, but they would have been 0-1. One of those teams could have been 0-1. I thought it was nice to guarantee that at least one of those teams got off on a point. I, I thought it was I, – I kind of liked that that matchup. I thought this was a really good slate of opening day games. I mean, you know, it is what it is because, you know, the schedule is going to be however it goes. But right. I might have – you know, Orlando-Portland, three out of four times for Orlando opening against Portland, I maybe could have done – you know, with not seeing that again, and it was not a very good game, I didn't think. But right, um, yeah, I like the opening day matchups. Well, it's I, interesting because it was Washington. Did Washington get a little false confidence by beating Sky Blue? Or I mean, you know, they haven't won yeah. since May twenty third, and the day, the game after that, they got beat three two by Houston. And then I don't know what is it, fourteen or fifteen games since then, they scored two more goals the whole season. And they got two in the opener, so that's a nice start for them. Well, and to your point about Orlando and Portland, I was just happy that that wasn't a Saturday game, so that even if we'd had a TV contract, it wouldn't have been the marquee game. I like that, you know, the marquee game would have been Chicago, North Carolina. Right, as, as it should have been. Yeah, yeah. So what, you know, what stood out to you for what you've seen of those four games so far, and I know there have been some some rewatch issues that are mostly getting fixed at this point. Um, yeah, full, what stood out full, stood out to you? Full disclosure: I didn't see any of Washington Sky Blue yet, but I have heard about it from several um, people whose opinion I trust. But to me, what stood out was you could really tell that North Carolina, Chicago, even though Chicago got beat up pretty good in possession, and Portland were all teams that had returning personnel that knew exactly what they wanted to do. There was very little feeling out process for what they were trying to accomplish. Right. And uh, Houston was, I liked what I saw from Houston. I didn't see that entire game, but you could tell that it was a little bit new for them. Um, You know, Seattle was a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, You know, Orlando's got similar personnel, but, it's very clear that they were not trying to pick up where they left off, even though they kind of did to some extent, picked Mm -hmm. it up in the second half a little bit. Um, And for, you know, Washington obviously started a very fascinating back four and uh, you know, sky blue, you know, we'll see. But uh, yeah, I thought it was, (laughs) you know, I I thought, and I think this is one of the benefits of the seventh year of the league. And I, I had said this as recent, as far back as the 2015 final, when Seattle played, and yes, it was Seattle then, so don't give me another time about that, it was Seattle, but the rain played Kansas City for the second final in a row, and it was really obvious that they both had established club cultures at that point. And I think we're getting that even more so with, like I said, the Courage and the Red Stars and the Thorns especially, and that's why I think they're the three teams that the others are going to have to come and get if they're going to get into the playoffs. And and just to throw out something, you know, off the field that, that has caused a little bit of drama, 
What are your thoughts on on Ashlyn Harris's comments post game after Orlando's first loss? Boy, really interesting, and um, a good bit of my column this week will be on that, which you might be able to tell that I haven't finished writing yet. Um, <laughs> I, you know, part of me, first of all, I think women's soccer needs more of the personalities that exist to come out like that. So I appreciate that if that's what she was thinking and feeling that that's what she actually said. And I don't want everybody to be like Ashlyn Harris, but I want Ashlyn Harris to be like Ashlyn Harris. Right. I kind of agreed with some of those comments, but it also, you know, if, if you just played that to me and I didn't know when it was from, I would have thought it was at the end of like an eight-game losing streak. I thought it was a very strange way to go about it after game one, especially for a player who's got, what, two more games left and then she'll be gone for a large chunk of the season. Um, so, yeah, I was fascinated by it. Like the personality. I don't even mind the message. I just thought the timing uh, was interesting. And, you know, the last time she did that was 2013, and Mike Jordan got fired in Washington, I think, the next week. And that team was like, I don't know, what was he, like 1-7-3 and three or something like that, and it was a game or two before that happened. But she made it a point this time to kind of um, compliment the coach. Yeah, say, I, hey, I noticed guy, that. You know, this guy gave up all this stuff, and it sounds like his family isn't over here, at least at the moment, and, you know, we owe him more than that. So, um, yeah, fascinating that it happened on opening day, but I, you know, we got to get, gotta get those personalities out there. And Ashlyn Harris has a really interesting personality, and, I, you know, I'd like to see her share it with us more often like that. So other thoughts from, from this opening weekend. Um, I know you've only seen a half of Houston, Seattle, um, but, you know, thoughts on, on what you glimpsed from, from the dash and what I think is going to be a really interesting year for the club, returning more players than they've ever returned before with probably the most experienced roster they've had before, but with the first-year coach. I thought from what I saw that they are going to be a lot more difficult to play against this season. I thought they had a lot more bite in their midfield and the way they were going after balls and trying to create turnovers and moving the ball forward. Um, you know, obviously Seattle's a good team and they, you know, the Seattle probably should have won it with that one late chance they had. And I, I loved what I saw from Darian Jenkins, who's trying to get out from the shadows of Dunn and McDonald and Williams in North Carolina. Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought that the Dash, you know, they showed a lot last year with what they could do. I thought Vera Powell did a really nice job kind of tactically developing the team from the beginning of the season to the end. And they actually, you know, I think their roster is really good. I picked them to be in the playoffs, and uh, you know, I think it was a decent start. Hopefully whatever happened to Rachel Daly there was just a bruise and not anything more significant than that. She's not a player that comes off the pitch very easily. And, uh, yeah, I thought uh, – I think there's bright days ahead for the Dash. I'm, I'm not. I'm a little bit concerned about Jane Campbell, in the fact that I think there. You know, she can make a lot of great stops, but if you make her come off her line, or as you saw when she gave up that PK with just really a horrendously sloppy job by the uh, by the Dash in the back there. Um, but you know what? If Campbell doesn't go to the World Cup, which it doesn't look like, maybe she'll get another season where she plays 20 to 24 games and get settled in, but uh, yeah, good stuff from the dash so far, but long way to go. 
And then I know it's a little unfair to ask you thoughts about Sky Blue when you haven't had a chance to watch. She's no, oh, ask away, Sky ask Blue. away. They they had they made <laughs> off the field news. Um, everyone <laughs> I talked to says that they never. What it's amazing that they never pressed the back line of Washington, which was Tori Huster probably playing in her worst position on the field outside back because she plays all over the place. Outside back is probably her worst, and a bunch of rookies. You know, and Megan Crossan, who was maybe not a rookie, but played, what, one game before this or two, something like that. And that it looked like Sky Blue just sat back and gave them space, which I don't understand why that would be. And if you look at Portland, Orlando, Orlando started Joanna Boyles at center back, and Portland was all over them in the first half, right? Did Orlando have the ball in the offensive half of the field in the first 20 minutes? I'm not sure they had a single touch in Portland's half of the field for the first 15, 20 minutes, because Portland, they recognized the weakness and they pounced on it. Didn't sound like Sky Blue necessarily did that. When I saw that lineup come out for Orlando, I was like, wow. You know, Callahan yeah. and Alinsky get, getting the start. Good. I thought Callahan was half decent, but they, I mean, they just gave way, too, way too much space in midfield in that game, especially in the first half. There was the one sequence where Haran got the ball in midfield and took a great shot, and Harris went up and made a great save. And it was nice to watch the shot and the save, but did anybody in Orlando think, hey, maybe we should run at Lindsey Haran instead of allowing her to settle the ball exactly where she wants it and rip a 25-yard shot? Really, really poor from Orlando in the early going in that game. So, so let's move it off the field because – let me say one more thing, by the way, okay. on the okay. on Sky Blue Washington. Very interesting, and apparently Sky Blue hit a, a post or a crossbar or something in the opening minutes and almost went ahead mm-hmm. instead of going behind one nothing late in the half and then losing 2 nothing. It would be really interesting to see how important that becomes because, again, Washington hasn't won since May 23rd. If you're a returning player, that's a lot of baggage to be taking with you into the new season, and even if you get new coach, new outlook, everything's great, you lose a game or two, especially with your opener at home against the worst team in the league last year, that can knock your confidence back. If Sky Blue doesn't get a win here quickly, how soon do they possibly fall back into the, oh my goodness, we didn't win last year until September, so it's really, it'll be really interesting to see what the confidence level is coming out of that game for both of those teams. So let's talk off-field issues, and Sky Blue, of course, is a great place to start uh, with the recent announcement that Tony Novo is no longer with the club. Yeah, that, uh, you know, the supporters group there has been on a Twitter campaign since the end of last season for Tony Novo to be fired. Uh, Personally, as a reporter and as a person, I don't really... Um, get involved in speculation or calling for people to lose their job unless there's something, you know, morally or ethically incorrect that's been being done. That said, you know, it was clear that there were some perception problems and it was clear that Tony Novo was, you know, if not a direct part of the problem, perceived enough as being part of the problem that he may as well have been the problem. I don't know what happened to make them make this call on Tuesday evening before opening day, because he basically did the whole off season. He laid the groundwork for whatever is going on there. So I don't know if something else happened. I don't know if somebody in the ownership group decided to start paying more attention and said, oh, 
these seven things. I never realized, but maybe we should get somebody else. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I'll be at their home opener on Saturday, and it'll be really interesting to kind of get a feel for the vibe there because it's one of those things where, like, this is probably the right decision, but why are you making it now? Yeah, that's really the best way to describe it because none of the issues are really new unless there's something behind the scenes that, you know, we haven't been made aware of. But it does sound like that there's new people getting involved with the club in terms of Tammy Murphy and it was announced that Elise LaHue, who used to be part of the Chicago Red Stars management, um, you know, is, is, is part of the club. But yeah, it's just, it's a strange, strange timing, strange, right. and, strange announcement. And they made the Tammy Murphy announcement, I guess, what, right before preseason. And then we, had a bunch of people, including myself, asked if she would be, you know, available for interviews and they wouldn't make her available for interviews. So you know, what What message does that send when the person that you're announcing as the hands-on, I'm going to be more involved, I'm going to make this team better, but I'm not going to tell you about anything that I'm doing. What kind of message does that send? And that goes back to my point about the Ashlyn Harris interview, totally different topics, of course, one on the field, one off. But, you know, we've got to hear from these people more often and find out what's going on. And, you know, you know, it's my job as a reporter to dig these stories out, but you know, the person who's in charge of the team has to be available to, to talk about it at some point. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, we've also seen coverage from Equalizer and Pro Soccer USA and, and other outlets talking about how right now there's not even a spokesperson for the league. Um, and it, it, it's such a shame when you're hitting the seventh season of the, of the league You've got the Women's World Cup kicking off in less than two months, and there's not even someone in charge of taking advantage of it. It is um, professional malpractice, to be completely honest. That there's no. Ooh, that's a better. Oh, that's awesome. What a good. What a good phrase. It, I, there's just no excuse to not have somebody to be running the communication staff. It is. I can't stress enough how absurd it is and and it you know it puts us in a weird spot because i don't want to seem like i'm whining on my own behalf because i don't have anybody to go to if i have questions about the league but it's not really about that i mean you have to have somebody getting your message out there and the old communications person left the day after the draft was was his last day which was what draft was what january 10th 10th so we're talking about more than three months without i knew about him leaving before the new year. I'm assuming that his boss knew before I did. So you've had plenty of time. And uh, the Pro Soccer USA article where Amanda Duffy says, well, we're in the hiring process and we're trying to hire the right people and we're very confident, that's not good enough. You've got an, you're understaffed in the league office on opening day, as you said, of the season where the World Cup is coming. You know, maybe it's not necessary. You know, maybe it's nobody's fault that there are no games on national TV to try to take advantage of that. But it is completely and totally unacceptable to start a professional sports league season without somebody running the communications department. I cannot stress that enough. Well, and it's not even about us as media, but if you're a fan, you know, even if you're a casual fan, how would you be aware? That, that a game was starting uh, by not having a conference call 
last week. They usually have a season conference call. That means yep. all that group of reporters weren't contacted. So they didn't pitch to their bosses about a story. So stories didn't run. So things weren't on the web. Things weren't tweeted. Things weren't shared. Things were printed in newspapers. And that's, that's how you build that buzz. And, you know, I didn't realize it to the extent that it was until somebody asked me on Twitter if the Yahoo streaming deal was actually happening. And I was, I'm obviously, you know, involved with it now. So I knew, yeah, it was happening because I was going, Mm -hmm. you know, to be a part of it. But I I was like, yeah, it's a good question. How would you know whether it's happening if you're not, you know, directly involved? And if you remember, the uh, Amanda Duffy dropped that news during her NWSL championship media availability, I think the day before the final, which would have been September 21st. And somebody just offhandedly said, hey, go 90s dead. You put the games on your site. You know what happens going forward. And she said, oh, we'll have a streaming deal with Yahoo Sports, and the details will be announced at some point in the future. If we didn't ask, if nobody asked that question, would nobody would nobody have known until eight, nine days before the season? Like, well, And were the details launched? even announced? I, I don't even remember that there was a real, like, here's the announcement? Or was it just part of the, here's the schedule? No, this something came out, like, a week or so ago. It didn't come out with the schedule. Definitely not. And remember when, so, go 90, no, when they did go 90, now maybe that was because they were finalizing the deal, but was it two days before opening day? Like, mm-hmm. literally, the, the season was starting in two days, and nobody knew where to watch the games. And, uh... You know, if the league is going to grow, it's got to be better than that. There's no – they lost a lot of opportunity in 2015. I know you and I talk about this all the time. They lost a lot of opportunity in 2015, and they certainly look like they're headed uh, for a 2019 where they don't take advantage of whatever opportunities come their way out of France. And and I don't feel really confident about the possibility of giving a TV deal even post World Cup because when you don't even have an infrastructure uh, that's out there trying to make something happen, how is something going to happen? That is a great point. I stand by the fact that I do believe the playoffs will be on TV. We've not had a non-televised playoff system yet in these three leagues and now 13 seasons. But it's hard to believe, you're right, it's hard to believe that there are are too many things going down. And keep in mind, you know, you don't just hire a communications person. They don't just walk in Monday morning and, you know, and start sending out releases and, you know, getting everything together. There's a transition period, and you don't have anybody to transition with that person. So it'll be, uh, you know, it's, it's a couple of week build up to this, and you don't really want that happening when your season is going on. And part of the problem there is, you know, there's not, uh, you know, there are not staffs for these things. You know, if the head of communications for the NFL leaves, I'm sure there's a very large staff and someone steps into the top position. In this case, person left, that's it. No more communications department. Completely, totally unacceptable for a professional sports league. So we'll stop dumping on that for a while, but what are the other big issues that you think are out there? In terms of off the field for the league? Off the field or on the field or player issues? Well, I mean, TV and and the communications issue. Those are huge. Are, are certainly one and two. Um, you know, I think the public is getting a little bit weary of the expansion conversation. Which yes. Usually ends at we have a lot of groups who are really interested, and nobody says who the groups are. 
And I mean, even if you look at the expansion that we've had, right, the dash started up, and you are well aware of this, you know, it was like a two-week blitzkrieg thing. If right. anybody started a women's team, who would buy season tickets? Great, let's do it. And, you know, then Randy Waldron spent the next two years complaining about how he didn't have enough time to get his team ready to go. Uh, the pride, we kind of knew about it, but it also happened kind of quickly. You know, they were at the league meetings at that 15 final in Portland, but the announcement didn't come, I think, until the end of October, if I'm not mistaken. The Royals kind of jumped in as a last-minute favor when FC Kansas City thing fell apart. And, uh, you know, the sale and family selling to Steve Malik wasn't a expansion setup. It was just a, a straight sale, which was kind of cool because it was nice that, you know, a team an owner wanted out, and rather than having the team in flux, he sold the team and they moved and, you know, it wasn't great if you were in Western New York, but it showed that teams are viable and for sale. But, you know, are we actually going to expand? We got to get off nine teams because it makes the scheduling a mess. You know, Chicago at the end of the season has a bye on the last weekend and the weekend before that is a FIFA break. So if they're in the playoffs, they'll be on a three week break heading into their semifinal game, which is better than not having a semifinal game, but it's not perfect. So there's that. Um, you know, are we going to get more players in? Seattle just traded for an international spot for this season only. Sorry, Rain FC traded for an international spot for this season only. Mm-hmm. And one game down out of 24, they're probably not going to have anyone in uh, for this weekend. You know, who's that going to be? Um, you know, we need we need some more consistent. We need we need we need the stories of these players to get out there. We need more consistent good players in the league uh, so yeah that's that's what there's me so many great anyway. there's so many great stories so many great stories like yesterday after seattle houston i was talking to uh the agent for uh, several players who also happens to represent mandy laddish and she's like oh do you want to talk to mandy for the, the podcast i was like oh my god that'd be great you know a player who's been out for two years with injury and is coming back have we ever had yeah. that that they've been in the league, on a roster, injured for two straight years, you know, I think and they're coming back. Not, not on the roster, but the aforementioned Jordan Angeli, I guess, right? Opening yeah. day 2011, she tore her ACL and then missed all of 12, all of 13, you know, while the league folded and right. came back. That's actually the first time I ever spoke to her. I happened to be at the game the week after she tore her ACL, and I just took a shot and said, hey, would Jordan want to talk? And she could not have been more gracious in talking and being very open about the whole thing. And she's, you know, talking about someone who was a week removed from what her third ACL tear. Yeah. And then a year or two later, I did a catch-up story with her, and she, uh, you know, her. I wish she, you know, I wish that's not how we met because I wish she had been playing. I think she had a future on the national team, maybe, if she stayed healthy off that 2010. Um, but yeah, that's. Uh, I don't know what what prompted me to say that, but. Oh, yeah, the, the missing two years because of the injury. But you're right; the, the stories out there are are really incredible. We need to we need to learn a little bit more about them. So, last thing, Dan, looking ahead to we have one midweek fixture, and then of course another slate next weekend. You know, w- what are you looking forward to? I think it's a, a really interesting uh, matchup for Wednesday, where you've got North Carolina coming off a frustrating draw at home face facing Orlando, hosting Orlando, and Orlando, of course, very frustrated last weekend. And then over the weekend, we've got 
Chicago hosting Portland, Sky Blue at home for the first time hosting Houston, Utah playing their first game. They were the bye game, the bye team this weekend. And then Seattle opening in their new venue on Not Easter Seattle. Sunday. Sorry. But I'm going to say Seattle. Um, and people are just going to have to accept it because you know what I mean. Um, okay. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I do like – I do like – I finally settled on using RFC as a hashtag. I do like that for, for Twitter much better than REI, which would just be weird. Um, I still think you gotta. I still think you gotta have your geographical representation in your team name. Right, and 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 for those that that wonder why the the scoreboard on the on the broadcast says SEA for Seattle and NJ for New Jersey for Sky Blue and for the Rain respectively, that's to kind of help somebody understand the geographic connection. They're hoping that somebody who's watching that stumbled on these, though I don't know how you'd really stumble on streams, um, but they're watching. If they didn't know, it clarifies where these teams are from. 100%. Here are my two problems with the week two scheduling. Um, I would, in a perfect world, you don't want a Wednesday game off of opening day, but you're yeah. really going to make Orlando travel on the shorter rest to go play North Carolina in North Carolina, and then Rain FC opening on Easter evening seems a little bit uh, like not the best planning. Didn't the Dash have an Easter? Like there wasn't the Dash's second game ever or something on Easter? I think so. They beat the break. It might, might have been yeah, in Boston. Yeah, but it was away. It was away, yeah. Right, in Boston. Teresa Noyola scored twice, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you, know, I don't, you know, I don't know what the Easter culture is in – in Seattle, Tacoma region, but uh, I mean, I won't be watching it. Let's put it that way. And I think yeah. a lot of other people are in the same boat. So that, those are my two issues with the weekend. Um, Chicago, Portland, though, is the game to watch because Chicago's first win ever was against Portland. And I think they're 15 in a row, maybe without beating them since then. And that's going to eventually have to change. They've had chances, you know, they've they were up 2-0 last year and ended in a draw. They've come from behind and ended in draws, but have not beaten them since 2013. is pretty fascinating. Yeah, that's always, that one's always a great matchup. Like uh, the home opener for Chicago last year, they hosted Portland, and it was like trading goals back and forth. And yeah, that was the game where Rory Dames apparently was, you know, calling out. So um, Sofia Huerta subtly. And then it was, by the way, one uh, thing, I don't know if you know this or if your listeners are aware of this, uh, the Red Stars, ironically enough, couldn't get home from North Carolina because it snowed in Chicago. So after the whole hurricane <laughs> mess last fall, they couldn't get home. And they, they missed their jersey reveal party on Sunday because they couldn't get home. K- Casey Short was there because she didn't travel with right. the team. She's injured, but the rest of the team was stuck. And Rory Dames had the flu and was barely on the sidelines. So I'm sure he was thrilled with a six-hour delay trying to get home after that. Yeah, because the first time they showed a coach on the sideline, I'm like, that's not Rory. You know, and, yeah, and I, I reached out I reached out to the, you know, the producer, and she's like, yeah, I know that's not Rory. We can't find Rory anywhere on the sideline. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Because sometimes the assistant will get up, but it was pretty clear that right. somebody besides him was running the sideline. And you can usually hear Rory. At some point during the match, so yeah, he, he wasn't feeling well. I think he was out there for five or ten minutes and then retired to the locker room. Either that or he really wanted to hear me on the broadcast and decided it would That's be better it. to, to go inside it. and listen rather than be on the sideline. 
Well, Dan, thanks for sharing uh, all your thoughts, positive and negative. And, you know, I expect you to keep covering women's professional soccer for, you know, at least another, what is it now? Um, 18 years? Uh, 19, I guess, with some... Yeah. I know I had some gaps when the league in between leagues. I took a, you know, I wasn't really doing a lot, but I was always in there. I think I got another 30, 40 years in me. Okay. All right. We're going to hold you to that. All right. Sounds good. All right, time to wrap it up at the back four. The seventh NWSL regular season is underway, thank God. And note that every game this season will stream live and free on Yahoo Sports. This is if you're in the USA, of course. Available both online and via the Yahoo Sports app. If you haven't already downloaded the app, do it ASAP. And if you've had the app on your phone for a long time, I do recommend deleting it and reinstalling to make sure that all the new NWSL features show up. Now, games are available for rewatching immediately on Yahoo. They did have a small hiccup last weekend, but they are immediately available on Yahoo. And then after 48 hours, you can then access the stream as well on NWSLsoccer.com. Now, if you're watching and you're not in the United States, everything is on nwslsoccer.com. All right, coming up in May, we have the last round of international friendlies before the Women's World Cup kicks off on June 7th. The U.S. women, they have three matches scheduled, all at home. Sunday, May 12th versus South Africa. Thursday, May 16th versus New Zealand. And over Memorial Day weekend, they'll play Mexico before they head off to France. All of those friendlies will be live on TV, either via Fox Sports or one of the ESPN channels. And note that provisional World Cup rosters are due to FIFA at the end of April. Now, those won't necessarily be publicized. That's like the 30 to 35 player roster. But some countries will likely announce their final 23 player roster before the late May deadline when those are due. Netherlands has already announced their 23 player World Cup squad, so... I think we're just about entering the territory where every now and then someone's going to suddenly announce their 23 players. I would assume we would know the U.S. is 23 uh, before the end of May. Sorry, before the end of April, because what we're hearing is that the U.S. players will depart uh, before the first weekend in May. All right. Uh, If you haven't already checked out the T-shirts that I've designed for NWSL and also a few for USA, check out keepernotes.spreadshirt.com. There's very simple designs, but all teams are represented. Uh, as I said, I've got some USA designs, also a couple of Australia designs. For every t-shirt sold, Keeper Notes will donate $2 to the NWSL Players Association. This is the union that represents the NWSL players who are not members of the U.S. Women's National Team. And last but not least, be sure you're following Keeper Notes and MixZone on Twitter. That's two X's in MixZone. And I give away prizes. There's all kinds of fun trivia, announcements about certain events and and, and other offers. So you definitely want to be following MixZone and Keeper Notes. And very soon, hopefully very soon, there will be a new KeeperNotes.com with lots of great Woso Nerd links. All right, that's it for this episode. 
Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone for sharing this podcast with their friends. And most of all, thanks to Sean for putting this all together. But now she's anybody's girl. You know she's anybody's girl.